half an hour. Half chatting. an hour. Yeah. Before we start recording, <laughs> good sister chat up, chat, chat, chatting, catching up time. Yeah. Speaking of sister way. films that I need to rewatch, A League of Their Own, nineteen ninety two. Sorry, what was that? Do you want to do an intro first? Because that last, last. Oh, right. Um, I'm Jessie. <laughs> Hi, this is Helen. And we're Asian bitches down under. We're two sisters talking about uh, things that affect Asian women, both here in Australia and abroad. Mm-hmm. Um, we're both from Taiwan. Ethnically, we're Taiwanese women. Um, and, you know, we were talking about a lot of stuff, but also the probably one of my favourite movies from the 90s, uh, A League of Their Own from 1992. Which I need to rewatch. Perhaps I shared this film. Yeah, baseball film. Okay, yeah, I think yeah. I shared this film. Um, it was a very spiritual, connecting kind of film I shared with my other sister Lisa. We mm. loved it so much. Tom Hanks, Gina Davis, um, Rosie O'Donnell, Madonna—just spectacular yeah. cast. Well, iconic females back yeah, in. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, so obviously, it's a queer film as well, but um, it's a movie about sisterhood, which I just yeah. like can't get enough of. I just what I remember from that film is that how much Tom Hank, yeah, the, the the anger that he had yeah yeah he's great the whole movie. He's, he's really yeah he's terrific <laughs> in it he's such a like grouchy ang- angry man yeah the manager of the baseball team mm-hmm. terrific well I'll, you know we will go into I'll 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 go into more detail once I watch it again I haven't mm-hmm. been able to rewatch it but I just you know, has been on my mind while I go through my 90s uh, movies Yes. Um, uh, for this year, uh, a goal of mine. The latest being Sister Act 2, um, which I watched a couple of days ago. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. doesn't hold up to the magic of Sister Act, the original. Yeah, I remember even, that yeah, last week. Even though the songs are just as good. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. But uh, I, yeah, but um, but a lot of things have been happening this week. Um, Helen, do you want to kick things off with what's happened on your end? Oh, okay. Um, I think I want to just want to share our experience of going to Freda Carlo's exhibition at Barangaroo. Um, so yes. I, you took your daughter there. Yeah, I took my daughter there last Saturday, and with our friend who was visiting from New Zealand. Shout out to Amanda. Great chat, and we had a catch up over lunch, and we went to see the exhibition. It's quite—I don't know how to explain it, but it's not your usual sort of art exhibition. It's more of a sense sensory ex- experience. Mm. One, it, because Amanda went to the one that is with Van Gogh. And she said it's pretty similar to that one, whereas you have a lot of projections of pictures, sounds, videos across the four walls in the really huge room. Mm. And you sit there and kind of immerse yourself into that kind of lighting and the videos uh, to kind of experience what Freda Kahlo as a person and goes, you know, you, you kind of uh, following the chronological of her life from her young self how she experienced through the car accident and she became you know a person with disability and her how she her art evolves and a lot of stories about her love life as well mm. with uh, her married to diego what's his face yeah diego uh riverina Rivera, Rivera, yeah, i think i can't remember yeah Rivera. diego his surname is definitely diego oh right yeah, like, just the misogynist basically that's all you need. To... <laughs> well, wasn't he like a, a C U N T to her? 
Oh, I think their their relationship is quite complicated because they were in and out of marriage for a couple right. of times, and they had right. both had affairs to some other people themselves. Yeah. Well. Right, right. But uh, the whole exhibition was quite interesting. Um, you go through a corridor listed with her um, life chronicle, uh, chronically. With uh, sorry, cr- I can't remember how to pronounce chronology. It. Yeah, of her of her life, yeah, her birth, uh, her parents, her family, and then all the way through her artistic uh, discovery in outside. Of uh, outside of her home country in US and also in in France, I believe. Mm. Yeah, and you also see some of other artists' um, inspired works that is based on the idea of how Freda Kahlo creates her art. Mm. And there's also a VR station where you put on you know, the goggles and the uh, headphone, and you kind of feel like you're in the world of. Freda Carlos artworks, mm. Mm. yeah. So it's very, it's a very modern, very different to the usual art gallery experience. I, I don't know if I like it or I hate it. Like I was kind of, kind of expecting to see some of her artworks. Yeah, like I wasn't expecting. I, w- I was not expecting. Um, watching a projection of videos but to the point that those it it was done very very well because the final room that you entered it's a huge i'll say it's almost like a two tennis court size Mm, mm. you have people sitting in the middle in the little stools and then some people are sitting on the floor some people are even lying down because the video projection goes across the four walls around you and also yeah. the on the floor as well. Mm. So it, it feels quite immersive and the music was very, very good. I mean, of course, you know, Latino music, it all sounds, if it needs to sound really sad, it sounds really depressive. And if it sounds very happy, it sounds very, it, it's a very direct. I almost feel like the Latino sort of culture, they're very direct in trying to express their feelings mm. yeah um there's a turn in chinese that trying to describe someone who is very direct about their emotion as in they dare to love and they dare to hate what is that how do you say it uh, gan ai gan hen. Mm. yeah so they're not ambiguous about their feelings yeah. at all yeah, as yeah. They're very fiery when they're in love and they're also very fiery when they the, yeah. you know when they hate each other yeah yeah i think it it, it kind of is like similar to expression of like tango you know the yeah. powerful dance movement yeah flamingos your flamingos yeah. yeah so it's very direct expression of emotion i think so um yeah so that's my experience of going to freda Kahlo. how I, I, much was it uh slightly expensive over the weekend i think it was 49 dollars for an adult yeah yeah but that you know if anyone's who's interested it's at barangaroo sydney yeah go and check it out it reminds me of um, a couple of years ago. I think in 2020, there was a Van Gogh. Yeah, that's um, what I'm saying. Immersive show. Yeah, that's, oh, you said yeah. that. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. Um, did you go see that? I didn't see it. I didn't go and see that, but yeah, I vaguely remember that you didn't like it. Yeah, I went to see it. It was um, basically, it was art, but like art in a way that is like everything that a true artist would hate. 
Like, I think if anyone at Van Gogh saw what happened to his art and how it was, like, basically, like, projected onto the screen with lush music for, like, 45 minutes, um, a top, bottom, every single wall, three-dimensional, um, it was, like, um, art trying to be sold to, like, a five-year-old. It was, like, trying to make oh, art yeah, it, to a five-year-old. It's just, like... It does make it more excessive. Yeah, it's just it cheapens the, the art, younger, I think, I think honestly. I mean, it wasn't not enjoyable. It's just, it was just like a very kind of um, commercial way to capitalize on, you know, art. Mm. Um, but that was like $50. That was extraordinary, mm. like totally exorbitant amount of money just for like watching slides, basically. Mm. You're watching slides. Well, that, on the only... room, you know? that was the only thing. Yeah, that was oh, the only okay. thing. And I cannot believe how popular it was. Okay. Um, with the Fred color one, there's different rooms with different like sen sensory experiences. Mm. experience so there's also a room where you can sit down and color in a picture of Freda Kahlo and then project it onto the wall a lot of kids were doing that we didn't because there was too many people and there was photo booth as well where you go into the booth yeah the picture of you and then some kind of I don't know maybe AI or some kind of um, software application it makes you make, into... make your portrait into like a Freda Kahlo inspired yeah yeah I saw the ones of yeah, yeah, it. It's very you. cute. Yeah. Did you do one yourself? Yeah, I did. I did. I did. Oh, you should send it. I'll send it to you later. Yeah. Yeah. But that um, was that was interesting. Yeah. yeah, awesome. We hung. We um, my partner took um, me to the uh, Sydney Observatory night tours, mm -hmm. which has finally opened up for those who are budding fans of the night sky and mm -hmm. interested in astronomy. Um, and in, you live in Sydney. It's now open after like a two. Two two and a half year kind of um, closure. Hmm. Were they um, renovating or upgrading or something? Yeah, I think they were upgrading during COVID or something. Yeah, um, their excuse or whatever. <laughs> I don't know, but it was really delightful. We looked through two different telescopes, uh, learnt about the Observatory Hill and about the obser actual observatory and what and you know how it was built, um, who lived there hundreds of years ago and. Uh, you know, I love, I love, uh, there's nothing more I love than hearing a really interesting tour guide talk about history and, and like mm -hmm. situate, situate mm -hmm. our, like situate the people in, in, you know, hundreds of years ago. Like yeah. I love walking tours. It's the, it's the most, like, especially when you have an awesome tour guide, yes. it's so great. It's like the most immersive and enthralling kind of learning that I like doing. Yeah. Um, but, you know, um, he, for, you know, I, I know you don't like talking about this, but I do want to just mention Valentine's Day. Um, he <laughs> came home with um, a bouquet of flowers, which was very okay. sweet. Uh -huh. And then he told me that um, that the whole florist was, um, there was a line. Okay. And everyone in the line was a guy. Yeah. And then I felt yeah. bad. Like, I felt bad. I felt like I was like, it was basically, I was like, oh, this is like, um, Valentine's Day is basically um, a wedding for women, you know? Yeah, it's like, like short-lived. It, it's just like um, <laughs> if it's only men lining up to, you know, give gift their partners, female mm. partners, I'm assuming, um, flowers, it means like um, Valentine's Day has been made up to, you know, um, make women feel like the centre of attention for one day. Yeah, it's in, exactly, in the way that a wedding. It's is exactly the same, uh, same symbolism as Mother's Day. <laughs> right, but the thing is, there's also Father's Day. Um, 
Yeah, but it also feels like that people expect. Okay, we're we're generally talking about heterosexual couples here. Um, couples in the same uh, same sex relationship will probably feel the same as well. But there's also give and take in the relationship, and it always feels like feels like that. Valentine's Day, the guys has to get the flowers. Like you mm. said, it almost feels like a wedding. Yeah, woman in the way that. In the way that a guy has to propose. Yeah, and the woman is expected to, I don't know, prepare a nice meal or make a cake. Yeah. And then get ready for sex at the end of the night or something like that. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. almost made into a routine that is um you need to perform. You need to perform, yeah, exactly. I remember seeing Clementine Ford, which we will talk about her again later yeah, yeah. on our episode. I remember seeing Clementine Ford's um, story on Valentine's Day. She said that, um, what is it with the idea of giving flowers? Oh, I lost my train of thought. I, I'm pretty sure that I remember what she was saying on the day of the Valentine's. She said that um, a guy giving the flower and she just doesn't, I think it's along the line of her saying that it's, oh, yeah, I remember now. She said that she's seen a lot of influencers, female mm. influencers, yeah, yeah. would post on Valentine's Day saying pictures that, of their, of their stuff flowers, that partners whatever, doing. okay, yeah. whatever they received and saying that, um, oh, the love of my life gave me this, blah, 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 thank you. But she said that she never seen a guy does it. Yeah. Because in a guy who either influenced or anyone um, posting on Valentine's Day, Yeah. you know, shouting out their love confession to yeah. their partner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because, like, why would a guy do that? Mm. Exactly. It's not manly, right? <laughs> that's what the patriarchy has taught them. Yeah, that's right. Uh, let's take a. Uh, do you have anything else? Yeah, a quick break. Uh-huh. And we'll come back and launch into the crux of our conversation this episode. Led by Helen. <laughs> we'll be right back. Okay, so we're back. Um, so this week I would like to discuss uh, two pieces of article on marriage in China and birth rate in South Korea today. Um, so the first piece of article, which is the guest essay published in New York Times, uh, I believe it was in January this year, which is titled Women in South Korea are on strike against being baby-making machines. So according to um, New York Times, this is not actually the first time that the media outlet has published a piece on birth rate issues of South Korea. There were three news articles similar to this essay on South Korea last year, and like, it seems like that the birth rate of South Korea is on a steady decline, which mm. is very much similar across the world. But, you know, South Korea is also almost at the um, very threatening um, situation. This really? is really wow. Yeah. So in this essay, the writer expressed that a 2022 survey found that more than more women than men, 65% versus 48%, don't want children. For three years. <laughs> Sorry, I just I just paused. Wait, to... wait. What, what did your dog just do? <laughs> My dog was just having a dream. He's wiggling his tail. 
noise asleep. <laughs> um, okay, so for three years in a row, uh, the country has recorded the lowest fertility rate in the world, with women of reproductive age having fewer than one child on average. Daycare centers and kindergartens are being converted into nursing homes. Wow. Sufficient clinics are closing and funeral parlors are opening. Wow, that's mm -hmm. fascinating. Yeah, so it's like, a, you know, if you don't produce kids, obviously that their daycare and kindergartens are going to run out. That's of so fascinating. You never, I feel like in Australia, people are still having a lot of kids. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. Yeah. Um, so young Koreans have well-documented reason not to start a family, including the staggering cost of raising children, unaffordable homes, lousy job prospects, and soul crunch soul-crushing work hours but for women in particular who are fed up with this traditionalist society's impossible expectation of mother so they're quitting mm. um yeah like you said i think australia we have less children but we we are not our closing childcare yeah, centers yeah. I, I thought that childcare centers still are so kind of it's hard to get and, your and child yeah. you know, enrolled and all that. It's, it there's, there's a there's a lack there's of a lack of yeah supply of childcare centers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. A lot of places in especially metropolitan areas where childcare centers can call up to one hundred and fifty dollars a day because yeah. the places are scarce. Yeah, yeah. So it doesn't really help when you have a misogynistic society a society and also a president itself who was oh, actually right. blaming feminism of blocking the healthy relationship between men and women <sighs> to be a family oh my god she has no idea what she's talking about yeah so um or he who is the president he, i think it's a he oh, yeah okay um i think in one of our uh episodes before we discussed our south korean pregnancy guidelines the one of the city council advised yeah woman to arrange clean underwear yeah. for their husband before they go into labor oh my god and also they have to take uh, responsibilities of a lot of traditional celebrations uh, for example this is called in korean it's called chu sok the mm -hmm. mid autumn where we say yeah. dong chou mm -hmm. autumn festival yeah and a lot of um, most of the married women are settled with lion's share chores and childcare. Demands of the new mothers are incredible. So many of them, you know, gave up professional ambitions. Yeah. yeah. And on top of that, the, the, a lot of workplaces in South Korea are very discriminative. Sexist. Yeah. Yeah. Against um, women, especially who are married. Um, How is that related to your next news item? about well i think it's also, i think it's also um people are choosing not to get married and not mm. to have kids mm. i think partially is because of the financial strain but i think mostly as a woman in both south korea and in china is because that the man hasn't progressed enough as what the woman has in the past decades and also the the change of how the government supports women in their in their own society because the one the article in uh, New York Times the author concludes that uh, in comparison with other nations that push for strong gender equality countries with cooperative fathers and good family policies like Sweden or that they recognize diverse companionship like France have 
been more successful in stabilizing or even pumping up the birth. You need to have a certain good structure of support, not just for families. It it needs to be supports for women and also the whole infrastructure that is set up for mothers to encourage women to choose to have kids. Mm, That makes sense. Yeah, you don't have a good structure of maternal leave, leave. you don't have a good structure of um, return to work programs or you have unfair dismissals. Mm. Obviously, women would choose not to have kids because it seems like once you have a baby, everything is very becomes very negative mm. for you. It's like you know the the we, we early on when we started um, our podcast, one of the biggest uh, Korean South Korean novel was the. 1982. Yeah, yeah, so even you know, if you haven't read that book, you would you might have watched the movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, mothers in South Korea has been called like a, a worm, a worm, yeah, mother worm, yeah, chong yeah. or something like that, yeah. yeah. And there's a very high tendency of women who chooses not to become like that because mm. how the society is treating. The woman with kids yeah. yeah yeah that totally makes sense yeah so and it, i guess across the ocean that uh um in china women are now also refusing to get married like you said yeah um so on the second article that i want to mention today is from south china morning post uh titled getting married is like going to hell wow, okay. young chinese that bad why are more chi- young Chinese are falling out of love time than not? So a report of declining marriage rate has started to trend in over New Year, uh, the Lunar New Year holiday, uh, a time of for a lot of people visiting their families. So social media users said that they were put off by high cost of marriage and the increasing difficulties of getting divorced. So what happens is that traditionally uh, during Lunar New Year, people work outside of their hometowns, mainly in you know major cities like Beijing or Shanghai. They'll return to their home for celebrations and their parents would usually expect them to return home with either a very big red pocket mm-hmm. or a potential partner for marriage. However, in recent years, as society progresses, um, the idea of family institutions has shifted. So with ever increasing like financial pressure and also the autonomy of self-awareness of the world, many people came to the realization that there is no need to get married. So I think it might be a generational thing and also class idea. Mm. Oh, and I feel like rural um, people who are still living in rural country uh, places will still follow the traditional idea of get yeah, your twenty-five. Mm. It, you're at the reproductive peak, then you get married, have kids. Mm. Mm. Whereas a lot of highly educated people, especially women, are choosing not to get married now. I think it's kind of shifting the idea of what we talked about again in our previous episode about um, the leftover woman. Yeah, I think there it's gradually to shift the idea that you don't need to get married, which is great. Yeah, which is great. Yeah, Yeah. everything I see that um, my conclusion about these two news articles is that 
uh, capitalism and patriarchy kind of created this huge illusion for women to fall into become the submissive citizen of the society. Mm. Like what we talked about last week, you know, the wedding is probably the first trick and then it comes with motherhood. Yeah. It's never been called parenthood. It's always motherhood being yeah. labelled as this a very glamorous term, but in fact that it is not. Uh, making those two live events, uh, they, the society trying to make those two live events as equal to happiness. Yeah. And it's a false adver- advertisement for many people who seek their this so-called fake happiness i think Mm. yeah Mm. i'm not saying that becoming married or becoming a mother isn't happiness but the marketing skill of capitalism and patriarchy make them look like you must obtain those to be happy and i believe a lot of women still believe that um and also you know this again it's a social expectation that you, for women that you need, need to be married and have kids, mm. which to me is just a bunch of BS. We, uh, looking around your social circle, are most of your friends married? Uh, yes, and I would say nearly half of them are divorced. So they're not, not married anymore? They're not married. But they, but they, they have been married. They chose right. marriage before. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, I guess that, like, that fits in with the statistics Loose mm. statistics that you know have been going around for decades about 50% of marriages end in wars and all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I'd say, mm-hmm. like, um, I think I have one friend, no, two, two close friends who are married out of like 15 people that I am really close to. Mm-hmm. So, like, yeah, um, people um, around me are not married, it's, it's kind of like an aberration in my social circle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but my, my, that might change, I guess, you know, in the next few years. Yeah, but towards... your, your social group and your friendship groups are very different to mine, I believe. Mm. Um, obviously, mine are a lot more older and also most of them came from... Traditional backgrounds? Yeah, very traditional backgrounds, yeah. very similar. They had parents like our parents who are expected, who expect their children to be married before 30, to have kids, to have a house, yeah, yeah. a career. Um, they all want those. Um, but compared to your social group, it will be a bit different, wouldn't it? Because yeah. I have friends who whose parents are not immigrants or maybe like um, subsequent generations of immigrants. Mm. compared to mm. early immigrants. I think a lot of newly immigrants still have a lot of, they, they still grapple to that kind of idea that um, you need to have your own kids to have your roots in this place. Right, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah. That's the idea, yeah. Yeah, um, sometimes I, I, I like, I, I think, um, I just, uh, there's nothing more, like I know I've said this so many times to you, but there's nothing less interesting to me than marriage. Mm, And it's not like, I just, I cannot imagine like some, I I would rather, yeah, do anything else. And not because I don't love my partner, obviously, but like Mm. 
uh, yeah, just it's n uh, nothing about it appeals to me. Maybe like the only thing that appeals in to me only perhaps is the is the access to um, opportunities I will get only only because of the way the fucked up structure of the society works. So, yeah. so just a quick example: if we wanted to adopt children, for instance, um, a lot of charity agencies don't allow unmarried couples mm. to adopt. So yeah. you know, we mm. would only do it for those kind of reasons. Which but is yeah, I cannot yeah, think because of it. it's not that hard to get married. You just go and pay. Yeah, exactly. You know, get witness and sign yeah. it up. Yeah, it's it does okay. not signify how well that the couple's relationship is or is not. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Hi there. If you're new to our show, thanks for tuning in into our program and we hope you will stay with us for a very long time. And if you're a regular listener, we're forever grateful for your continuous support throughout this period of uncertainty. It has really helped this podcast to gain a great exposure as our mission is to center the perspectives of people who look like us, who are marginalized historically to the sideline of conversation. So if you haven't already, we encourage you to subscribe to our podcast on Omni, Apple, Google or Spotify and leave a rating and review. And of course, as a small podcast program, we rely on listeners' support to continue this work. Please do check out our Buy Me Coffee page and make a donation in order for us to continue to advocate the intersectionality in the podcast industry. Oh my gosh. Anyway, um, I want to wrap up today's conversation with a funny and hilarious... Um, <laughs> oh my gosh. This is an article, guys, um, published in the, Her uh, in the uh, Guardian. Mm -hmm. And it was written um, by um, a kind of fashion-slash-culture columnist called Morwina Ferrier. That's her name, Morwina Ferrier. And um, I came across Morwina um, actually a couple of days prior to her publication of this piece. She had okay. written a piece about um, Rihanna's um, Super Bowl halftime show in which she didn't really give anything interesting, to be honest. Um, but <laughs> this article, Helen and I are going to deconstruct and then also add in the hilarious Clementine Ford's take on it yes. is um, a column called My Most Romantic Moment. And it was you know, published in conjunction with Valentine's Day. Mm -hmm. It came out at the end of Valentine's Day, our time. I believe this woman lives in the UK. So maybe that's why it has the date of like February 14th, 11.30 um, p.m. Yeah, yeah. Um, but um, so it must have come out early in the morning their time. But the t the t the headline of this piece is my most romantic moment. I just had just given birth, and my boyfriend made me a perfect bowl of pasta. <laughs> <sighs> okay, where do we start? Um, basically, I'll give you a wrap up of her very short piece. It she talks about um, having um, just had her son. Mm -hmm. And then basically saying that she had, um, this is the line she uses, much like having the baby, I had already done the hard part myself. So she had made the actual pasta. Mm -hmm. um, she cooked it and then she put it in. Um, she wasn't able to finish it, um, but she made it and then um, she gave birth to her kid. And then um, basically her boyfriend, she says, it was my boyfriend who 
take, took out the sauce out of the freezer at around 2 a.m. and defrosted it. And then uh, this, is the, this is the thing that she is most impressed with. She said, and then he carefully cut the linguine into little pieces with a pair of hair scissors. And, and this is her next line, but, and this is crucial. I hadn't asked him to cut the pasta into pieces. He just somehow knew how to do it. Wow. And so I actually came across this article thanks to Clementine Ford, who did one of her stories about it. And she basically linked the story and she said, he ba- and she said, um, her, her deadpan humor is hilarious. She said, um, this woman has written a Guardian article about um, the amazing work of her boyfriend um, being able to, to defrost food for her while she just gave birth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was, oh, my God, I was just like, it was just hilarious. And, and you know, I have a lot of, I have a take. And basically Clementine Ford's like, how does this like ridiculously basic, less than basic um, I guess, act of defrosting sauce. How does this warrant a whole Guardian article about, like, this woman's most romantic moment? Mm. Um, I have a take on that. But before I, you know, give you my take, Helen, what did you, what did you think? <laughs> what were your first reactions to this? I laughed my head off when yeah. I was looking at um, Clementine's response on her story. Yeah. And I was just thinking that woman has been kind of, forced to perceive small gestures of kindness and they should be content with the bare minimum. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, and also I was thinking whether or not that this piece was written as a satire or poke, poke, poke in of, of her partner. No, I don't. I think she was genuinely. Oh, like, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I think she's genuinely impressed that her partner can like feed her scrambled eggs, and like, and like this is this also this is a bit I also love when she's like, my partner somehow knew how to put like, um, a pillow under my arm or something like that. You know, when I was breastfeeding, I was like, I cannot believe this woman. Like, yeah, uh, my take is um, actually. Um, the it's fact that this woman, sad as well. It's well, also the fact, sad. The fact that this woman yeah. is like um, writing a whole article about how amazing her, her amazing her boyfriend's defrosting ability is, um, I think it just speaks volumes to the fact that a lot of women um, they don't have even this kind of basic support. So that's why this woman thinks that oh, it's worthy of saying because like my boyfriend fed me a couple of meals while I just went through the most horrifying, traumatic 24 hours of my life mm-hmm. um, and then now have to nurse this person. Um, just the fact that she is herald- she is kind of like heralding and celebrating these actions, these very minor actions, you know, mm. these actions that women do every single day, the fact that she has to pr- um, celebrate it in this part piece means that um, it's number one, it's very unusual for her boyfriend to cook for her. Mm-hmm. And, and if you see the picture on the um, head, uh, in the article, there's a kind of there's a picture of selfie yeah, that they take the woman and her partner and her boyfriend. Uh, I just, I can't stand women who say boyfriend about their partners. It's just like, get a life. Are you 14? Um, and, um, and then her baby, like they have a selfie in the mirror and the guy just looks like a freaking, you know, NRL kind of jock 
kind of <laughs> douchebag. Honestly, he looks like a Cranbrook private school boy, <laughs> Eastern suburbs douchebag, um, which holds, like with, it tracks with everything that she's saying in the article where she's like, oh, he's, he, he cut, I didn't ask him to cut the pasta into pieces. Like that is the most amazing thing that this guy has done for her. Like that just like actually um, shows me how like little this guy does for her and the fact that she has to, you know. Um, Write an article which will yeah. be published internationally to be read by millions of people to praise this. Yeah, this tiny action, like wow. Like the like and stick a pillow under my arm as I switched boobs. Like, wow, mate, you're like, what this is the fact that you think that this your boyfriend, your partner deserves a, a, a gold medal just for doing that. Oh my God. I just, uh, I just, I, I loved Clementine Ford's take on this. It was <laughs> fucking spot on, honestly. But, but also, like, like you said, it's sad because, yeah. like, um, a, like this, for this to have been something that this woman felt worthy of celebrating, um, I guess, and the fact that the editor and a bunch of editors had green-lighted yeah. this piece say, says to me that a lot of women don't even have this basic, mm-hmm. the most basic, basic kind of form of support that any human partner of any woman who had just given birth can provide. It kind of reminds me of a friend of mine who um, had a child maybe a year ago and she said that... Um, when she started meeting up with her, um, with the women in her mother's group, she was like, wow, my partner who just like basically does the bare minimum or like um, kind of like looks after me in the way that someone should, um, the, she said it just makes him look like a god, the fact that she's hearing like women who are like saying, oh, my husband can't change diapers, my husband can't do this. She was like, I cannot believe this is still a thing, you know? Mm-hmm. So I was thinking about that and I guess that's why this piece, as hilarious and embarrassing as it is for the writer, is also like quite um, revelatory in the sense that it shows how like still in the 50s we're still stuck in, the like mm-hmm. how little men need to do in order to be absolutely given the biggest slap on the back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's almost as if that they they are given awards or doing things that is just basic. I mean, you don't see her. Would she even write a piece if her mother was there that day or her sibling were there that day and giving her all the these supports? Would she just think yeah. that? Uh, it's uh, it's it's just normal. My mom's doing this for me, or my sibling's doing this for me. She doesn't see it as a um, a very general thing to do to support a, a, a woman who has just given birth. She treats it as a romantic gesture, mm. which is not bad as well. But mm. what I'm saying is that it's also you don't have a you don't have a really high expectation of your partner. It also shows that she was surprised that he knows how to do those things because yeah. he never done it before. <laughs> he knows how to cook he knows how to clip pasta into into tiny pieces wow the five-year-old knows how to do that wow yeah but yeah. maybe the fact that he had done this and for her to think this is magical is the fact that so many women around her and their partners their male partners perhaps 
they don't they wouldn't know how to do this yeah that's one thing and also it, it just it, it, i don't think it gives credit to him okay i think if you try to look at this piece of article in a positive way is that perhaps she is trying to inspire possibly male readers to do the same for their partners um or she just simply had a low very lower expectation of what a man should yeah. be doing because like i said would she write a piece saying that uh, how much a person loves her uh for example what i said her mother who was there to look after her to you know put pillows under her arms or would she do the same would she do literally do the same saying that oh i feel the love for my mom she 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 was helping me breastfeeding mm. you know she was cutting linguinis into pieces and feeding yeah yeah no of course she would doing the same no but because it's, it's the fact that, yeah period and because yeah. she had just given birth and because her boyfriend her partner yeah. happened to be there she feel that she needed to compliment him publicly mm, yeah is a bit ridiculous in my own perspective i feel it's so not, embarrassed for her and almost, her partner <laughs> but like also kind of like yeah in a way that she even like, cooked the pasta she was stupid the sad, sad thing is that she was still fucking cooking at the moment to the point yeah had going to contraction i'm like jeez woman <laughs> Can I just say also, she does say in the middle, uh, she said um, while she was uh, pregnant heavily, she was filling her days, this is her line, filling my days following granular batch cooking recipes in an attempt to silence the screaming voices that told me I was about to blow up my life. Instead of panicking, I cooked and cooked. So she does say like cooking for her um, was like just a way of dealing with um, what the, the kind of emotions that mm. she was going through, which I kind of like, I co I totally respect. Like I sometimes just feel like cooking or baking because like it is literally something that I enjoy doing for fun. Um, mm. I don't, I don't, I probably don't cook for fun. I bake for fun, mm -hmm. but I don't cook for fun. I have to say sometimes I feel like cooking because like for whatever reason, we've had a lot of things during the week and we've eaten out a lot. And so one night I might be like, okay, let's eat in, let's, you know, Mm. But like I, I don't think I cook for fun. I think I bake for fun. I think baking is very therapeutic for me. Um, so that's kind of the same or different. It's really, it's such a funny article, and you know, I just love Clementine Ford and her reaction to it. It was, <laughs> it was fucking like just the best. I don't know. I had a different interp in interpretation to you when I was reading how she cooked, it felt like she was trying to cook to prepare the next three months that no right. one would cook. And then right. she had to stuff everything in freezer and then heat it up when she wants to eat right. it. You're saying she was prepping for the she fact was prepping, that it, yeah. exactly. And I know, I know so many women does that because they know that once they're given birth, the whole functionality of the household dies because apparently their partner, the male partner, cannot yeah. do any shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <sighs> <laughs> that one's big sigh. <laughs> yeah. That's why when we go back to the first two articles I was talking yeah. about, that's exactly the reason that woman doesn't want to get married. Yeah. <laughs> kids.
Yeah. Men are the problem. <laughs> you you got a question. You know, Helen, there were other like romantic moment columns. Did you read any of the other ones? Um, I haven't. I haven't either because I cannot stand people like just like talking about writing, talking about romance. <laughs> yeah, and it's often just generic shit like that. Mm. I hate people who like boast about their romantic accomplishments. It's just <sighs> like, ugh, I hate it. Yeah, and especially the the use of the term boyfriend. But you yeah. like to watch rom coms. I love rom coms. Yeah, yeah, because mm. they're not real. <laughs> um, but um, I don't know. There's something about the use of the word boyfriend really rubs me off the wrong way. If you're like an adult woman, mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't. I don't get it. Like um, but, I, well, I've been it, like it, it kind of signifies that you're you're either bi or you're you're cisgendered coming from. I don't know. I, I really don't know why. But like um. I yeah I don't know why it rubs me off the wrong way so much because like um what there's nothing the actually man? like what about like ontologically man? wrong with it you know like yes he is a boy and yes he is your boy he's my partner and boyfriend you know mm-hmm. um I don't know like um so before Gia Tolentino came out with her book Trick Mirror in 2019 and I know I'm obsessed you know listeners will know I'm fucking obsessed with Gia and everything she does. And I, before her book came out in 2019, I'd been reading Gia's work for years and years. Mm. And, um, and I noticed that she had always mentioned her partner and in her face and in her Instagram posts as her partner. Like she would, she always used the word term partner. Mm-hmm. But then when she came out with her book, um, in her essays, she referred to her partner, Andrew, as my boyfriend. And I was like, hmm, okay, what happened? Like, um, I don't know why she like she changed the label. I was like, maybe it's because okay. like she wanted to just broadcast the fact that she's straight. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Okay. I think so. I guess that's. I don't know if that's a very important aspect, but I think that is that is something to signify your um, preference. Maybe, yeah. Because how how would you feel if someone's if a, a guy who is writing the same piece and he wrote about boyfriend? How would you feel like? Oh, you mean like if it was a gay couple? Man, yeah, it was a gay couple. Oh, I think I would not be uh, so so irritated. Yeah. Something about cis couples who use the term girlfriend boyfriend that really you just, you irritates just, me. I don't know why. You just hate cis couple at all. Yeah, I just hate myself. <laughs> <laughs> okay anything else more no i'm it's just hilarious and i'm still gonna try and figure out why i have this irritation with the term <laughs> okay um that's the end of our episode remember to subscribe to our podcast on spotify google and apple and give us a five star rating if you'd like to support what we do here at asian bridges down under head to buy me coffee page and make a donation for us to continue the intersectionality in the podcast industry um, so that's it from us this week. Um, anything else more? Anything no. Else? Yeah. Okay. We'll catch you guys next week. Bye.